Section 29 of Inquiry Concerning Political Justice and Its Influence on Morals and Happiness, Volume 2. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Arden. Inquiry Concerning Political Justice and Its Influence on Morals and Happiness, Volume 2, by William Godwin. Book 6, Chapter 5, Of Oaths. Oaths of Office and Duty. Their Absurdity. There are moral consequences. Oaths of evidence, less atrocious. Opinion of the liberal and resolve respecting them. Their essential features. Contempt of veracity. False morality. Their particular structure. Abstract principles assumed by them to be true. Their inconsistency with these principles. The same arguments that prove the injustice of tests may be applied universally to all oaths of duty and office. If I entered upon the office without an oath, what would be my duty? Can the oath that is imposed upon me make any alteration in my duty? If not, does not the very act of imposing it, by implication, assert a falsehood? Will this falsehood have no injurious effect upon a majority of the persons concerned? What is the true criterion that I shall faithfully discharge the office that is conferred upon me? Surely my past life, not any protestations I may be compelled to make. If my life had been unimpeachable, this compulsion is an unmerited insult. If it had been otherwise, it is something worse. It is with no common disapprobation that a man of undebauched understanding will reflect upon the prostitution of oaths, which marks the history of modern European countries, and particularly of our own. This is one of the means that government employs to discharge itself of its proper functions, by making each man security for himself. It is one of the means that legislators have provided to cover the inefficiency and absurdity of their regulations by making individuals promise the execution of that which the police is not able to execute. It holds out, in one hand, the temptation to do wrong, and in the other, the obligation imposed not to be influenced by that temptation. It compels a man to engage, not only for his own conduct, but for that of all his dependents. It obliges certain officers, church wardens in particular, to promise an inspection beyond the limits of human faculties and to engage for a proceeding on the part of those under their jurisdiction which they neither intend nor are empowered to enforce. Will it be believed in after ages that every considerable traitor in excisable articles in this country is induced by the constitution of its government to reconcile his mind to the guilt of perjury as to the condition upon which he is allowed to exercise his profession? There remains only one species of oaths to be considered, which have found their advocates among persons sufficiently speculative to reject every other species of oath. I mean, oaths administered to a witness in a court of justice. These are certainly free from many of the objections that apply to oaths of fidelity, duty, or office. They do not call upon a man to declare his assent to a certain proposition, which the legislator has prepared for his acceptance. They only require him solemnly to pledge himself to the truth of assertions, dictated by his own comprehension of things, and expressed in his own words. They do not require him to engage for something future, and, of consequence, to shut up his mind against further information as to what his conduct in that future ought to be, but merely to pledge his veracity to the apprehended order of things past. These considerations palliate the evil, but do not convert it into good. Wherever, in any quarter of the globe, men of peculiar energy and dignity of mind have existed, they have felt the degradation of binding their assertions with an oath. The English Constitution recognizes in a partial and imperfect manner, the force of this principle, and therefore provides that, while the common herd of mankind shall be obliged to confirm their declarations with an oath, 
Nothing more shall be required from the order of nobles, and the very function, which in all other cases has emphatically received the appellation of juror, than a declaration upon honor, will reason justify this distinction. Can there be a practice more pregnant with false morality than that of administering oaths in a court of justice? The language it expressly holds is, you are not to be believed upon your mere word, and there are a few men, firm enough, resolutely to preserve themselves from contamination, when they are accustomed, upon the most solemn occasions, to be treated with contempt. To the unthinking, it comes like a plenary indulgence, to the occasional tampering with veracity in affairs of daily occurrence, that they are not upon their oath, and we may affirm, without risk of error, that there is no cause of insincerity, prevarication, and falsehood more powerful than that we are here considering. It treats veracity, in the scenes of ordinary life, as a thing not to be looked for. It takes for granted that no man, at least the plebeian rank, is to be credited upon his bare affirmation, and what it thus takes for granted, it has an irresistible tendency to produce. Add to this, a feature that runs through all the abuses of political institution, it saps the very foundations of moral principle. Why is it that I am bound to be more especially careful of what I affirm in a court of justice? Because the subsistence, the honest reputation, or the life of a fellow man is there peculiarly at issue. All these genuine motives are, by the contrivance of human institution, thrown into shade, and we are expected to speak the truth, only because government demands it of us upon oath, and at the times in which government has thought proper or recollected to administer this oath. All attempts to strengthen the obligations of morality by fictitious and spurious motives will, in the sequel, be found to have no tendency, but to relax them. Men will never act with that liberal justice and conscious integrity, which are their highest ornament, till they come to understand what men are. He that contaminates his lips with an oath must have been thoroughly fortified with previous moral instruction, if he be able afterwards to understand the beauty of an unconstrained and simple integrity. If our political institutors had been but half as judicious in perceiving the manner in which excellence and worth were to be generated, as they have been ingenious and indefatigable in the means of depraving mankind, the world, instead of a slaughterhouse, would have been a paradise. Let us leave for a moment the general consideration of the principle of oaths, to reflect upon their particular structure and the precise meaning of the term. They take for granted, in the first place, the existence of an invisible governor of the world, and the propriety of our addressing petitions to him, both which a man may deny and yet continue a good member of society. What is the situation? in which the institution of which we treat places this man. But we must not suffer ourselves to be stopped by trivial considerations. Oaths are also so constructed as to take for granted the religious system of the country, whatever it may happen to be. Now what are the words with which we are taught, in this instance, to address the Creator, whose existence we have thus recognized? So help me God, and the contents of His holy word. It is the language of imprecation. I pray him to pour down his everlasting wrath and curse upon me if I utter a lie. It were to be wished that the name of that man had been recorded, who first invented this mode of binding men to veracity. He had surely himself very slight and contemptuous notions of the Supreme Being, who could thus tempt men to insult him by braving his displeasure. If it be thought to be our duty to invoke his blessing, yet surely it must be a most hardened profaneness that can thus be content to put all the calamity with which he is able to overwhelm us to the test of one moment's rectitude or frailty. End of section 29
Recording by Arden.